One of the things so many of my students come to me with is a crushing sense of perfectionism. The sense that they are desperately feeling around in the dark, right? Blindly feeling their way in their parenting, in their marriage, in their life, in their health, in their well-being, in every choice and decision that we get to make as autonomous, free human beings. And they are feeling the desperation of confusion, of overwhelm, of information overload, of analysis paralysis, and this yearning, this hope that they'll make the right choice, that they'll make the perfect choice. So if you feel like you are at a crossroads, as most parents do every single day, because we have to make so many decisions, if you feel like you're facing down the barrel of a very big choice or even just a series of minor choices, there might be things like how to sleep train your baby, whether or not you should homeschool, where you should live, should your children share a room or not, should you raise them vegan or not. These are all decisions that we all kind of have to face all the time all these types of decisions. And when perfectionism is looming large and we are overshadowed by our expectations of perfection, our hopes, our dreams, our setting our our aim, our spirit, our eyes on something that should be the right choice, right? When you feel like I must make the right choice and you feel the tyranny of perfectionism over your head, There is something missing in your thought process, and that is what we're going to dive into in today's episode. This is Haithan. I'm Avital. So today, I want to kind of free your mind. I want to give you the opportunity to no longer feel twisted into knots and, you know, knotted into pretzels around the decisions that you have to make. You're still going to have to deliberate. You're still going to have to think them through. You're still going to have to make a choice. And that's one of the things we get to do as free people, right? That's something to be tremendously grateful for. So many people don't have a choice. So many people don't have that freedom, don't have opportunities. So choices in and of themselves are a signal of your freedom. They are a symptom, if you like, a very positive one, of the fact that you live in a state of relative abundance and of relative autonomy, right? You have ownership, you have authorship, you have agency, you have choices in front of you. And first and foremost, that's something to be grateful for. You know, when you think about people living under tyranny, people living in North Korea today, when I think about my grandma, a Holocaust survivor, as a 17-year-old facing the atrocities of the war, I know that she didn't have a choice. And so the first step, I think, here when you're facing a choice is to think about it with an air of gratitude. But then you still have to make it. And I think here comes the the kind of ailment of our time is that when we have many choices, we get overwhelmed, we get analysis paralysis, we get caught like a deer in headlights, not knowing which choice to make. But we also have a suspicion, a kind of spidey sense that there is one right choice, that there's some kind of perfect choice out there. I mean, when there's no choice at all, that's no good. We want some freedom. We want some ownership. But when there are too many choices, we start to think that we should just keep passing on these options until we find the right one. You'll see this in many different ways. You see it really interestingly in research when people have too many options, say for shampoo, Um, they actually walk out of the store and don't make any choice. 
they get stuck in a place of limbo. They can't make a decision because there are too many. And I think that happens in things like the dating scene as well, right? When there are too many options, when your head is swirling in too many directions, you get this kind of whiplash, dizzying sensation. If you just keep swiping, something better will come along. And that is the kind of curse of too much choice. That is the shadow side, if you like, of that freedom. Because with freedom comes tremendous responsibility. With freedom, with choice, comes uh, that need to actually make the choices and own the choices and follow through on them with follow-up, with consistency, with commitment, despite the fact that there are you know, other fish in the sea in any situation. So what has all this got to do with parenting? Well, when we're trying to structure our family and make these decisions, we are in a role of leadership and we are the ones who need to make the decisions. Us, along with our partner, need to make the decisions around where we're going to live, what kind of educational path we're going to do, uh, what, how, what our approach, just sugar to screens, uh, to different content, um, to travel, to money, to sleep is going to be. And I think that many of us can get swept up in this kind of influencer sphere where we're used to people coming out with very persuasive and impassioned beliefs around how you should parent, how you should live, how you should raise your children. And I want to zero in on sleep today because I think it's such a really good example. But I, I want to kind of dissect a little bit what's happening on the scene in terms of parenting advice so that you can see it with trained eyes and understand what's happening when you're receiving various sleep advice. Okay. Now apply this to your particular you know, pain point at the moment. Maybe this is for you about food or about school uh, or about something else. When you see kind of thought leaders, gurus, experts, influencers coming out and waving their flag for their particular approach, right? When they are radically committed to a specific idea. For example, you're going to see a lot of uh, sleep experts or parenting coaches, many of whom I admire and I would recommend, uh, come out with a very strong statement that you should never leave a baby to cry by themselves. That's the type of thing that you're going to hear. And that statement makes a lot of intuitive sense. It's emotionally very pulling because none of us want our babies to be crying by themselves. None of us want our babies to be traumatized. None of us want that feeling that we've done something wrong, that we've somehow scarred our child, right? That would be terrible. That's the opposite of what we're trying to do. And a very elaborate and convincing case can be made that when you leave a baby to cry by themselves, you are in fact scarring them. I mean, even just hearing these words out of my mouth now might be triggering for you. It might be upsetting, right? The sense that, oh no, yes, another person espousing that this is something terrible to be done. Or you might be nodding your head in agreement, like, yes, that is terrible. It's so good that they are fighting the good fight to stop this from happening to babies. And I have to say, on the face of it, I agree. I don't think babies should be left to cry on their own if that advice is taken without context. But here's the problem with advice and particularly parenting advice is that there is always a context. There is always different choices that we make that we need to actually compare to the other options, the other realistic options. What do I mean? Sometimes you think about it in a vacuum, like you are a clean slate, like you're this empty blank canvas and you can choose whichever choice, whichever color you want to paint on the canvas, you can just paint it on and there you go. 
right? So you can choose, oh, what's my approach to sleep? Oh, my approach is don't let the baby cry it out. Boom. There we go. So that means that I'm going to be nursing them and rocking them and sitting with them and co-sleeping until they naturally grow out of it, right? And if we were robotic and empty blank canvases, then that choice would be a good choice 100% of the time, probably. But as soon as we need to take into account the reality of human beings, which is that we're messy and complex and a little bit chaotic, and there is a context to the choices we make, that's when we start to become wiser, more nuanced in our thinking about choices. Okay, so that's when this advice can start to become irrelevant or unrealistic or extreme or unhelpful because you, my friend, are a unique individual. And what's actually at play is not a perfect solution because as the famous economist Thomas Sowell has said, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And you try to get the best trade-off you can get. And that's all you can hope for. This is actually a direct quote from Thomas Sowell, who's saying that we cannot achieve a perfect outcome in any of our choices in life. We just can make slightly better or slightly worse trade-offs in our choices. So let's apply this to sleep. When a mother asks me, should I let my child cry, you know, cry themselves to sleep because we're all exhausted and they need to sleep and I need to sleep and I don't know how else to get them to sleep. Maybe my initial knee-jerk reaction would be, no, that's not good for the child, right? But then I need to zoom out, right? And, And I think a skilled coach must do this and find context to this question. If the mother would share, say, another piece of information, like, I get so rageful rocking my child to sleep that I actually start to shake them. I have zero support and my sleep deprivation is actually causing me to make more accidents, be more clumsy and be less safe during the day. Um, I'm starting to hate motherhood and to question myself. Maybe now we have to compare the reality of what's happening at the moment in this mother's real home to the idealistic perfectionistic solution of never let a baby cry it out. Now, there might be many other solutions in between, and there are. There are lots of different approaches to this and lots of different ways it can work, and many of them are valid. There are viable solutions, not just one, but they are not actual solutions. They are, in fact, trade-offs. In other words, they're not perfect answers with a perfect outcome. Rather, they each have a price. They each have a pro and a con. So in this example, if the mother does not let her child cry it out and reclaim, you know, full nights of sleep for both of them. The trade-off is that she ends up taking other risks with her baby, right? With herself and with her baby and with their mental well-being and their physical well-being even, right? She's putting them in a rather extreme position that may have its own cons. It does have its own cons. It has its own price to pay. So if she does not let her baby cry it out, the pro of that is that she doesn't have to leave her baby to suffer alone in the dark, risk causing him psychological damage or trauma, risk creating a rupture in the relationship, risk her own feelings of guilt and and disconnect and worry and fear. And she doesn't have to go through that process. And that's a wonderful thing. But there's also a downside. And the downside is that that means 
that this exhausted, depleted, undersupported mother is going to continue down this path of depletion. And, you know, that there are cons there too. There are risks there too. She's taking on a different price that she's going to pay. And I think when I zoom out and put this question that is often asked just as a kind of perfect question in a perfect context, like you're a blank slate and you can just choose, should I or shouldn't I? Um, If I zoom out and put it into context, we suddenly see that these are two imperfect choices. Neither of them are great. Neither of them are complete whole solutions that, you know, tie everything up in a neat bow. But we can now start to weigh out the pros and cons in a more realistic way. Hey, we'll be right back to the show. But real quick, in case you haven't yet heard, I am so thrilled that I have finally released my book. Reclaim Play is now available on Amazon.com. And Amazon.com do quite a lot of worldwide shipping. So if you're not in the US, you may still be able to get your hands on it. However, if that's not the case and it does not ship to you, don't worry. First of all, we are working on additional options. And second of all, we will be releasing the audiobook and the Kindle versions very, very soon. Meanwhile, I want to say a huge thank you to every single one of you who has pre-ordered, ordered the book at this point. It is now fully live on Amazon and published. And I am so, so grateful because thanks to all of you, we have driven it up to number one in several categories, including parenting babies and toddlers, which is just so incredible and so gratifying. So thank you. A mother approached me today and asked me, should I homeschool? And then on the face of it, you could again say, well, what's your educational philosophy? Do you believe in homeschooling? Is this what you want to do? Cool, right? It's an easy, it's an easy decision. It's a great solution. But that's never the case. That's never the case because we're human and we're complex and it's nuanced. And we have to look at, well, what would homeschooling mean for your financial situation? What would homeschooling mean for your mental and physical well-being? What would it mean for your social life? What would it mean for the educational opportunities, right? Okay, now we're starting to get somewhere. Now we're starting to see the picture in full color. Now we're starting to see the details be filled in and we start to see, oh, well, it's certainly not a perfect solution. There's a trade-off here. There's a price that you have to pay. And that's all that you can hope for is to choose the best trade-off that you can get and pay that price graciously. I think what many sleep you know, experts or parenting advice in general, what it often does not take into account is the messiness and the complexity of human existence, our emotional, physical, financial, relational needs, and how complex we are as beings. It's a complex system. And I want to encourage you to start to see your family as a whole holistic unit and try to make decisions that benefit you as the best trade-off you can come up with right? The cheapest price for the best quality outcome, right? Where you're losing the least that you need to lose and gaining the most that you need to gain. But there will always be a loss. There there will always be a price. Maybe it will cost money. Maybe it will cost time. Maybe it will cost mental well-being. Maybe it will cost you relationally. Maybe you'll have to give up on some dreams or on some fantasies. Uh, Maybe you will have to give up on uh, you know, the lifestyle that you thought you would have or the family life or your relationship, things are always, you know, in flux and interconnected and related to each other. And therefore we make trade-offs and we make them sometimes as parents from a place of kind of 
quiet desperation in a sense. Like I think this sleep question is such a good example of that desperation that we can experience. When parents confide in me that they want to let their child cry it out, what they're often saying to me is, we are desperate. We don't know what else to do. Now, there are, as I've said, there are other solutions. There are lots of different gray areas in all of these, right? You could have a hybrid between homeschooling and schooling. You could work part-time. You could do all sorts of things that are in the middle. You don't always have to go to one extreme or the other. But the point is to look at these decisions and understand that they are, in fact, trade-offs, that there is no perfectionism in parenting. When you're not sure how to handle your child's behavior, when you're not sure whether or not to get a divorce, when you're not sure whether or not to go back to work or to wean your child from nursing or to allow them to eat sugar at that birthday party or to let them watch TV tonight, when you're not sure, that's because there isn't one right answer here. There are pros and cons to each of these choices. And the the chat, the shtick, the, the trick in life is, I think, to look those decisions in the eye, to own your choices, right? Say, yep, this is my choice. It's not a solution. It's not perfect. There's going to be a price to pay, but I own it. Right? So even something as simple as, should I let them watch TV? Okay, let me think about this. If I let them watch TV, there might be a horrible tantrum at the end of it. I might feel guilty that they spent several hours in front of the TV. They might get you know, influenced in content that I, I don't particularly agree with or appreciate. They might be sitting on their bums instead of going outside and playing. Lots of different things. These are the prices I'm going to pay but I'm going to get two hours of quiet, which I desperately need. And I'll be a happier person for it. And I'll get my work finished and I'll have a shower and I'll do a workout and I'll be refreshed. So here's the trade-off. Do I want to make it? Yes or no? And then I've got to pay the price. Okay. Yeah. I knew there would be a tantrum. I knew there would be some content that I didn't like, etc. Right. And then I can try to mitigate those prices a little bit like, okay, maybe they're going to watch something that I do approve of, that I do like the content. Maybe they're going to watch for an hour instead of for two. Right. I can start to mitigate those prices and negotiate them to get the best deal I can get in the situation. But it's still going to be a deal. There's still a barter here. There's still a price. Right. I'm not going to get the perfect solution. And that's true really, really, really in every single choice that you're going to make as a parent. So I want you to take this mindset a little bit like a cure for perfectionism. When you look around and you think, oh, wow, she's perfect. They're perfect. That family's perfect. I think what you might be identifying is not perfection because there is no such thing, but rather people who are living at peace with the prices that they need to pay. They are at peace with the choices that they're making. They're making a choice to live this type of lifestyle and not the other. And they are going all in. They're fully committed. They're owning it. You know, I made the reference to the dating world in the beginning of this episode. And I think it's kind of similar, right? It's like the couples that you see that are happy and they seem madly in love and romantic and just have the best marriage. And it seems like they have a perfect marriage. It's not perfect. It's a trade-off. There are things they're not quite getting from that marriage or things that they had to deal with, or the prices they had to pay or investments they had to make. But they're owning that choice. They're going all in, they're committing, and they're making it work for them. And rather than continuously swiping right and keep thinking there's a better option out there, there's something perfect out there, there's a unicorn out there, they are going all in on this choice and they're making their peace with it. It reminds me of the episode I did about the myth of compatibility. 
the myth of compatibility is a first cousin of the myth of perfection, right? Just the word compatible is this idea like there's com- there's perfection. There's that unicorn. There's that glove that fits. There's this perfect solution. And I think we live that way in the modern world. We're so spoiled for choice that we just assume that if we just, you know, keep looking, there'll be the perfect solution. There'll be the, the perfect school, the perfect babysitter, the perfect lifestyle, the perfect schedule, the perfect morning routine, the perfect relationship with grandma, the perfect budget. We just assume that at some point we're going to have the perfect vacation or we're going to make these perfect decisions. And we don't understand that no, none of them will be perfect. None of them. Not the school, not the relationship with grandma, not your family vacations, not your afternoons and evenings, not your meal plan, not your flow with the supermarket, not your life-work balance. None of it will be perfect. Not a single piece of your life will ever be perfect. But it can be deeply meaningful, satisfying, happy, fulfilling if you understand that you are making trade-offs and you make them with a happy heart, right? You make them like, okay, yep. I'm willing to invest. I'm willing to put the work in. I'm willing to pay the price because this is this is what I chose. That's where the true freedom and autonomy and joy comes from. The joy doesn't come from the perfection. The joy comes from owning the choices, from making a peace with the life that you are living, that you are choosing to live. It's taking radical responsibility and saying, yeah, this is my choice. And then you suffer less. The mother who decides not to let her baby cry it out or to let her baby cry it out and to go either of these paths will suffer if she's constantly bemoaning and desperate and sad about the trade-off that she's made. If she's constantly feeling guilty and wrapped up and doubtful and hesitant and worried that she's made the wrong choice or that it shouldn't have to be this hard or it shouldn't involve crying or it's not fair right? It's not fair that it involves exhaustion or that it involves hours of investment. If she's bemoaning all of that, if she's not paying the price graciously, then she's suffering. The suffering gets alleviated when you say, yep, this is what it is. I decided not to sleep train my baby. And that means that we're going to have a lot less sleep and I'm going to be disrupted. And I'm going to spend an hour, you know, holding and soothing and shushing every night. And that's what, that was my choice. I'll give you an example from my own life. I made the decision with my eldest who had very significant tantrums uh, from the age of two till about the age of six, every single day. I made the choice that I was going to be taking mostly the approach of time ins, that I was going to take him to his room, sit up against the door. I wouldn't let him out, but I would be in there with him. And I would try and keep myself calm and try and be present and hold space for his big feelings. And I say this with a smile on my face now because I just had a conversation with a friend who's going through this with her toddler now. And she was saying, you know, I just, I don't know what the approach is. I don't know what I should do. And I was thinking to myself, well, I shared with her what I did, right? And she was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That takes such commitment. Like every single day for 45 minutes, you were sitting with him through a tantrum. That's unbelievable. Well, it's not unbelievable. There was a huge price to pay, right? Now, first of all, it wasn't perfect because I often didn't manage to, you know, live up to my own standard. If I myself was too triggered or frustrated that I was going to hurt him, I was going to get angry, I was going to shame him, then I couldn't do it, right? I needed to know my own limits in that situation for sure. And that's part of understanding the trade-off. It's part of saying, wait, there's a context here. There's a human messiness here. 
there's a human component. We are not robots. And so if I say to myself, I would rather do time ins with my child, but then I find myself gritting my teeth or getting really defensive or angry or resentful or later treating him less well or shaming him because I, you know, gave more than I meant to give or more than I had to give, that's not a very good trade-off. That's not a trade-off he would have agreed to. And therefore, it's important to see this in context. But beyond that, I said, to him, you know, I'm not really sure I, I did the right thing. That was four years of me taking my baby, taking my second baby, going into a room with him, spending all that time with him. Maybe if I'd have done the timeout approach from the get-go, right, maybe that would have passed really quickly. Um, maybe I would have alleviated a lot of unnecessary suffering and stopped something in its tracks that didn't need to spiral so long and, and take up so much energy. Maybe I sent him the wrong message behaviorally, like, well, I'm coming in and sitting with you and giving you all this attention because you're in a spiral and you're in a meltdown. Now, I'm not unhappy with the choice that I made. I feel like it was the right choice for me and my family. It was the right choice for my son. And it's in the past now, so it doesn't even matter, right? I'm certainly not, you know, spiraling or or wondering or, or giving it much attention at all. But it informs me as a coach and as a teacher now when I have students asking me these things is that it informs my awareness of the wider perspective and of the trade offs that we need to make. You know, if you're looking at, should I be doing time-ins or time-outs, you really have to ask yourself, well, what's the alternative? If you sit with your child in a time-in and you calm down with them, can you stay calm? Are you going to yell at them? Are you going to smack them? Are you going to lose control? Are you going to punish them later because you went overboard with your empathy that you didn't really feel and you were faking it? You know, you need to know yourself a little bit. You need to see the context. Are you going to neglect important things like, your home, your other children, your work because of this? Are those all going to suffer and cause even greater damage if you sit in the room with your child for an hour every single day? And on the flip side, if you decide to take a more punitive route, is it even going to work? Does it work, right? I'm a little bit skeptical of that, right? I don't think punishments work in general at behavior modification. I don't think they're very effective. But okay, I'm putting judgment to one side. Say it does work. Are you going to feel good about it? Are you going to feel calm about it, right? Is it the you that you want to be? Is it the energy that you want to bring to parenting? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. How do I want to operate in this space? What would feel right to me? What makes sense to my mind and to my logic? What price am I willing and able to pay? What knock-on effect will that have downstream on the rest of my family or on our finances or on our time management or on my mental health? You know, if doing time-ins is going to make you crazy, that's not worth it, right? The child doesn't need that. That's not good for them. So my point with all of this is not to say that you should do timeouts and, you know, let your baby cry by themselves. But my point is to say that things are a little bit more nuanced and complicated. And when you hear this one-sided, very dogmatic advice, I want you to remember Magda Gerber's very wise words, which is that in parenting, it always depends it depends. It depends on the situation. It depends on you, your unique individual situation. Your specific child and context is what will inform your decision. And even then, even if you really take all of that into account, it's going to be a trade-off. It's not going to be perfect. You know, sleep is one of those things that is a really good example because we are all in dire and desperate need of sleep. And I think I remember when I was with, with my first child, when I was really wanting and desperately needing that my baby to sleep through the night, my friend who had sleep trained all her kids said to me, how desperate are you? 
And I was like, what? What do you mean? She goes, if you're not really desperate, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to follow through on it. That was her advice. And I think it's interesting to point out that living in desperation, living in depletion, living in a sense of like you're a shadow, a skeleton, right? Like you're not yourself. Like you're not safe. Um, like you're not okay. Like you're getting sick, right? That's a really bad place for parents to be. And that's kind of that desperate trade-off that we make. And the desperate trade-off that I think many, many, you know, pieces of advice say don't actually take into account. So that's why, for example, in the studio, my membership, and you are more than welcome to get on the wait list. It's not currently open, but I would love for you to join us next time the doors open. We actually take on quarterly projects to ensure that we are looking these decisions in the eyes and making the trade-offs that we want to make, owning our choices. That's why we have a whole project actually on this subject dedicated to sleep. Because yes, healthy sleep for the whole entire family is crucial. And maybe we don't need to make such desperate trade-offs. Maybe we can make the best trade-off we can make and pay the price graciously and move on and not keep getting blindsided and, you know, guilt mobbed by people who maybe disagree, but they don't see the full picture and the full context of our family life, of the resources that we have and of the children that we're raising. That's why we dedicate this entire season to reclaiming family peace. And it's one of many projects, right? There are projects about getting back into fitness or having a family meal together or setting up your meal plan or even doing your family albums, right? These are all things that we address and take on and really cement as a new habit in the family. Because no, there is no perfect. There is no perfect. But we can continue to make excellent trade-offs. We can continue to make choices that we own, that we feel good about, that we pay the price graciously for, that we've negotiated a really good deal. I hope that this episode has helped you to kind of calm the farm, right? Just turn down the perfectionism a few notches, quieten the voices that say that you're doing it wrong, that there's only one right way. Dogmatism is always kind of a, I think, a bit of a symptom of fundamentalism and it's it's not in a cute way, right? It's not a good thing, especially when we're doing something as complex as raising human beings. And especially when the conversations that we're having online are all multicultural. We're all from different, different places with different approaches and different ideas and different kind of wisdom handed down throughout the generations. And I think we'd all be wise to take a more neutral and more nuanced perspective on the decisions that we make and realize that Thomas O is absolutely right. There are no solutions, which means there is no perfection. There's no one way of doing this. There are trade-offs. So just make the best trade-off you can and that's all you can hope for. Keep on living that high fan life. I'll see you back here, same time, same place, next time.